computer. Recording is in progress. Yay. That's the first step. Um, hello, everyone. I'm John McDonald, aka Stardew Farmer on Instagram. And welcome to Everything is Gay, even the straight stuff. Um, yeah, this is a podcast about queerness in all of pop culture and varying topics. Um, and it'll be, re- be released every other week. Uh, Lord Will the Creeks Don't Rise, as my family used to say. And with me is the indubitable and indomitable Magnus. Say hello, Magnus. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm stoked about uh, our talk today. Uh, the topic of the show is thank you for being a friend. We're going to be talking about the Golden Girls. Um, and not just because Betty White has passed in the previous year, but because um, we both mm-hmm. in different ways think the Golden Girls was really special. Um, Magnus, do you want to tell the audience a little bit about yourself, just so people know kind of where you're coming from when we talk about the Golden Girls? Yes. So um, do you mean a personal side of things or what the girls meant to myself? Uh, the, kind of the personal side of things. Like I know that you do really great illustrations and you've worked on like the dive in mm-hmm. series just to kind of give it a bit of context where you come from as an artist when you think about the Golden Girls. Um, so I shall start off with a small confession. Um, I came into the Golden Girls relatively quite later on. In life, I did. I didn't um, watch them growing up, to be honest. Um, how I was okay. I, I, I forgive you for that, by the way. It's okay. I forgive <laughs> you. I was very hesitant about speaking about that. I felt I was committing some sort of grave sin by admitting it. But I, I'm glad to see you're so merciful, sir. I mean, I'm not going to rip up your gay card, but I'm not in charge of the comment section, so we'll see how they feel about it. You may have to give back the gay toaster. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear me um so how i was introduced to it was through my boyfriend um who he himself hadn't seen it either to be honest um but he had heard a lot about it um so a while after we started dating um we were cho- we're having a chat we both realized that we'd never seen it um and he said do you want to start checking it out so we snuggled up on the sofa big bowl of popcorn and started watching it and we both instantly fell in love with it um the characters the setting i they there's an element of sheer perfection to the show um and i can certainly see why it appealed to both the people that saw it for the first time when it originally came out and why it still has a lasting appeal to this day um I'm, before I waffle on too much about exactly why I adore the girls, um, did you have anything to say for that part, sir? Always. Um, actually, I've done quite a bit of research for this. Uh, most <laughs> people that know me know that I'm a Golden Girls fan. Um, coincidentally, uh, and, I, and I have information, a lot of my factoids that I have for this come from either research about the episodes themselves, or I don't know if my green screen is going to mess this up. I'm coming to you live from the Golden Girls kitchen complete with all their uh, tchotchkes on the wall. I have the unauthorized Look Behind the Lanai, the Golden Girls Forever book by Jim Colucci, which someone got me. And I also have the Golden Girls tarot deck that someone else got me, because people know my brand. Um, so I, I come at this um, from a perspective of, because I'm a storyteller, um, a queer mm-hmm. artist at that. Um, 
a lot of what I originally got from the Golden Girls um, is all kind of narrative. It's about the wits. Mm. Um, and here's a fun fact. Uh, there is no world for me without the Golden Girls because they started filming in September of 85. I was born the next year. So I don't actually know a world without the Golden Girls because um, I was born to it. In fact, the uh, it is a year to the day uh, before my birth. So um, apparently, so the last person to get cast was B. Arthur because she was really hesitant. Um, there's a really great story about Rue McClanahan talking B. Arthur into taking the role of Dorothy. She mm. got her... Um, she got her contract to sign on Good Friday, April 5th. And I was born that next year on April 4th. So really it's a year to the day of the series. Um, and I know that's not like super special, but I think it's super special. Um, yeah. No, it, it really is, sir. But to the point, to be honest, while you were just saying about you were born into it, it makes me wonder whether we should re rename our generation the Golden Gabies. Oh, uh, that'd be great. I think... I think that would tickle uh, the people that made it. Uh, that would tickle them pink. Uh, they they knew they had a hit on their hands too. So I know mm -hmm. we are going to talk a lot about the show, but I just want to give some context to our readers that don't have as much context for the Golden Girls um, and what it meant both in 1985 and up through today. Um, the first thing that I kind of want to touch on, and I'm going to go through these a little bit. I also have uh, I also have some fun trivia games that we're going to play. Um, so get your guesses ready. Um, so the first thing I'm going to talk about here is they talk about in creating the show, they talk about bringing in optimism. So it's not just about making fun of, you know, four women living together that are older. It's about, it was about treating these characters with dignity, with humor, and showing them as fully rounded people in their lives. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to talk a little bit later about that about how they change each other in the course of the series. Um, and I'm gonna use the phrase found family a lot. Um, and I'll explain what that means when we get there. But I really like the idea that the series, even when they have hard episodes, it's about optimism, it's about family, it's about coming together. Um, and it's not always perfect. There was lots of fighting in the house over seven <laughs> years. But I Ooh, think that yeah. optimism is really important to acknowledge. Uh, do you feel that optimism in your watch of the episodes? Do you feel kind of that love and that respect? Oh, most definitely. Um, the thing is, the Golden Girls would have been nothing without the very loving and strong dynamic between the four ladies. And it's so clearly that they're there for them. And there's an, a great element of trust. Yes, they do argue, but that just adds the element of realism to their relationships. <laughs> they, nothing is going to be a fairy tale Disney princess style relationship. That, that is, that's the myth. <laughs> that's the real myth of Disney, pretending everything um, is always going to be all right. And I think just going off slight tangent there, Disney's done a lot in its recent films to address that. like the relationship between Anna and Elsa being a bit contentious, Encanto that just came out being about a family going through some very personal struggles. I think they've gone away to um, address that. But with the, so with the girls, um, I would almost say that their struggles and times when they get annoyed with each other, the infamous um, Rose um, 
Olaf stories and the way that Dorothy and Blanche are always like besides themselves. Uh, the, uh, the, 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 the people them. that the people that worked in that writer's room apparently fought over who could tell Santa Little stories because they absolutely adored writing them. Because uh, it's just kind of like no holds barred um, writing from left field, anything goes kind of thing. And it mm-hmm. makes me it makes me really happy to think about just like writers, just like American Gladiator style fighting. Um, <laughs> Ooh, American Gladiator style fighting. Now that's another topic of conversation. <laughs> yeah, like eighties American Gladiators, not like the revamp where everybody was on steroids, but like full I on eighties mean- feathered hair, lycra tights. Glamour prints lighting, yeah. Um, no, and I think for us especially, uh, getting mm-hmm. trying to stay on topic because that's something we struggle with. Um, something <laughs> that we are drawn to specifically when we look at other shows, uh, when we talk about Bob's Burgers, especially I think of, is mm-hmm. the other show where optimism is such a heavy part of it, um, and where dignity yes. is such a heavy part of it. And I think that's part of what makes the Golden Girls unique. Um, but something you can mm-hmm. also find in the lineage of shows that inspired it, the lineage of shows it inspires, which leads up to things like Bob, Bob's Burgers. So, The dignity element you can definitely see within the show's writing. Um, just to throw out examples here, there was an episode where Blanche went back to college to pass a course to get a degree. Um, it was important for her role in the museum. Um, while she was at college, she was hit on by her professor who said, if you would like to get this degree, then I'm sure we could come to some arrangement, basically saying, sleep with me. And, and- the whole studio audience like boos at that point, which mm-hmm. because they filmed the episode twice, I'm imagining because in sitcom TV, you filmed the episode once before dinner and you do any rewrites you need to do like during dinner and then after dinner, the second episode is the one that's taped and showed. I'm just imagining like the poor person playing that professor getting like booed twice <laughs> and like someone like throwing lettuce at his car as he's leaving like the studio lot or something. A hundred <laughs> points if you get him right in the nose of a tomato. Right in the nose <laughs> of the tomato. But so the reason I like this particular episode, it's always been clear and Blanche embraces it that she is very um, open about her promiscuity. She loves men. She loves dating men and going out with men. However, when it's being almost used against her by someone, she turns around to her friends and she has this lovely um, speech within the kitchen where she's explained to Dorothy and Rose how she views it, that she enjoys meeting men and going out with men but she never uses it in a sense to how do I put this um she never crosses her standards when it comes to dating for the sense of almost like demeaning herself to get something by going out with someone that she doesn't want to go out with she only goes out with men that she wants to and at the end of the episode she goes to the professor hands her paper to him and um sorry no yes she's just done the exam she hands her paper to him and says sir here is my examination i've completed it and you'll find i did not need to lower myself in order to get this grade and i think that is such a powerful example 
of how her inner dynamics work, her inner thinking. Yeah. That I've always that episode has always had a good lasting impact on me for that. And actually, I think that a lot of gay men watching it would have related quite well to it, to be honest. Yeah, um, and that's something interesting. I'm actually going to move on to a point because I like doing as, using that as a segue to something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but first, I'm going to talk a little bit about that episode specifically because I really like that as a setup. <clears throat> the first point is, is that that is not the first time Blanche does that in the series. There is an episode in season one where her niece comes to visit and her niece is shown as to be as potentially promiscuous as her, like a mini Blanche in a way. And yes. there's this great confrontation at the end of the episode where she goes to rescue her niece from this Miami Vice dude's apartment, which a um, little bit of a tangent to put a pin in. Miami Vice was on the same network as the Golden Girls. So it was actually poking fun at someone like in their, um, <clears throat> in their family or shows at the time. Um, and she talks about kind of the dignity of her body and the choices that she makes. Um, and I really love that. One of the things that I love about the show that I want to talk about a little bit later in the episode um, is the idea that Betty White said that the four girls were always four points on a compass. And um, I always kind of put Blanche in the South because she's Southern, but she's kind of that kind of slut whore archetype. But what's great about the show is that she never stays that. Yes, she's always kind of that really familiar, very physical type. But throughout the course of the show, she interacts with her maternal instincts and motherhood more than the other women do. And so in a way, she does the whole horror Madonna trope, but she does it backwards, where instead (laughs) of going from Madonna to horror, she goes from horror to Madonna. And I really love that. And the show was on for seven seasons. And that doesn't count the spinoff proper and the two spinoffs and the abandoned backdoor pilot. From various episodes um and so one of the things i kind of want to acknowledge is that yes the show did some clip shows which actually one of them is in my top 10 favorite episodes um i have a top 10 list actually i have a top 12 list of episodes but i had two that didn't make it so i had to cut them um and it's just really interesting to kind of think about the show in terms to of found family, which is family you choose, or if you're a Tales from the City fan, your logical family, um, which I'd like to talk about Tales from the City at some point. It's the idea of how they change each other, the sorority of it later in life, how they made each other stronger, how their varying opinions mattered. Um, The the strength of their personalities was why the the gay Coco was written off after the first episode, um, because there were just too many big personalities to, to have that bit character there and make it work. Um, mm. But it was, yeah, there's a whole chapter early on in the book, in, early on in the Golden Girls um, unofficial guide that talks about Coco. Um, but yeah, I like the idea that the women continue to learn and grow as they age, where widowhood is not kind of the end of their journey. Uh, mm. Betty White's character Rose talks about it in the first episode, the idea of our husbands die, our kids leave us, was this a test? And uh, there's quotes in the book here from people that are really young that enjoy it that say, it gives me hope for, you know, later in life of continuing to be really important. 
And we actually see that in a couple of side characters that come in. One of the Talon Show episodes has the Del Rubio triplets on, which are also in the Pee Wee's uh, Christmas special. And the Del Rubio triplets were infamous um, women of a certain age that always had younger male boy toys with them. So they were kind of like the Blanche of the musical world. Um, and so every time I see the Del Rubio triplets anywhere, I always giggle uh, because they were just getting it on the daily and they were proud to be getting it on the daily. Um, God bless them. And the word you just said, proud, I think actually you could attribute that quite well to the women of the show. Because not in the sense that they were proud as in overbearing, but these were women of coming from different walks of life, different personalities, but they were proud of who they were. And their friends were there to remind them of you know, what made them special and such. Um, there was an episode at one point where Rose found out she bit, she lost her job um, and she went through, I think, a real confidence crisis because she found that she didn't have a lot of qualifications and training. Um, and her, uh, she, hadn't been, she hadn't even told uh, her friends that she had been looking for jobs at this point. They, they made it see, she made it seem as though she was just lazing around. But in reality, she'd been doing her best, but she couldn't find anything. Um, it got to the point where she finally had a mini breakdown and her friends were there to remind her of what type of person she was and to help her through that crisis by trying to help her find a job. Um, <laughs> well, that falls through at the end of the episode and she ends up um, serving coffee and donuts at a local gas station but then later uh, it was a it was like a diner it was like a it, a diner which was probably referenced to to alice uh the tv show based on the mm. really sad movie it was probably referenced kind of Dallas but but then she ends up working for enrique moss uh the consumer <laughs> reporter um and so that turns out okay which is mm. a sitcom thing oh yes um the thing is with the that job I just mentioned I think that's the only time she's actually in that role and then she goes right back to the grief counseling center and as you've mentioned later on for anyone that doesn't know a part of Rose's arc in the Golden Girls is she ends up going through a few different jobs later on and it is actually quite interesting to see this um very, uh, she was very timid and shy to begin with at the start of the girls, but she did come out slowly but surely over time. She also has she also has a really interesting. I don't I don't know how I want to say this. I'm just thinking about this now. So my favorite thing about Rose is not the arc of her looking for work. I think it's really important because it's one of the many social issues that the girls talked about, um, mm. specifically related to being elderly. But they also talk about other things. Mm. Uh, shout out to Mario Lopez for being in an episode of the Golden Girls. Um, they actually, uh, I feel like when I talk about Rose, I think of her becoming in touch with her body almost in a way that mm. some people that transition or accept their trans status um, come to touch. Now I'm cis, so I can't speak for the trans experience. But when mm. I think about Rose, I think about a woman um, at the beginning of the series who really isn't in touch she's in touch with her sexuality in that she knows she's 
heteronormative, but that she's really afraid to date. Um, she's hung up on Charlie throughout the entire show in a lot of ways. But by the time yeah. we get to season, season seven, when she discovers the Polaroids that are double exposed of her and of, of Charlie and Blanche in bed together, um, which then later on is Charlie in bed with the Statue of Liberty, which is really funny as a visual. Um, the idea that she goes from being the Madonna in a way to being uh, being the whore in a sense of a whore having control over their sexuality and their body um, mm. and kind of knowing who they are. Um, when I think about Rose, I think about that transformation. Um, one of the things I disagree with on the series, which is a very minor thing, I have a few things I disagree with that are inconsist- inconsistencies in the show, um, but I always like Rose in seasons one and two better before they start dumbing her down more. Um, they talk mm-hmm. about in the show about the idea of her being a ditz, you know, kind of as a character archetype. And I feel mm-hmm. like in the first couple of seasons, she has some wisdom to her and then they kind of let her sweetness and her naivete really overtake that. And it takes mm-hmm. away a bit of the complexity from her. Um, I, it was a very minor complaint and it's not in every episode, like the episodes where she's very wise and very sweet. Like I, I'm really kind of drawn to that because I am definitely more of a Dorothy. I'm very arch in a lot of ways. And um, and that's something that I treasure. But like, I felt like over the course of the show, they made Rose slightly dumber while also giving her these heavy things. Like one of my favorite episodes, I think number five, actually, if I look at my list, mm. I have them in order. Uh, number uh, number five, actually, it's no, it's number four. So number number four is seventy two hours from season five, and this is the uh, season at the top of season five. Dorothy finds out she has chronic fatigue syndrome, and she has that mm-hmm. really great um, confrontation with the doctor in the restaurant at the end, um, where everyone tells Lewis to shut up, and it's great. Uh, but later in that um, season, no, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say minor point there. I really, it, during the scene where she's confronting the doctor, I really respect the doctor's wife for yeah. speaking up and telling him, shut up, Frank, listen to the lady. And Dorothy continues from there. It shows that even though you're technically a partner of someone, if you see they're in the wrong, you know, it's realistic to speak up and stuff. So I appreciated that point. But it's please continue. Really, it's a really great set of episodes with a lot of... Uh, this is one thing that Golden Girls does really well, especially mm-hmm. in that season five opener, Sick and Tired, which I'm using the Hulu, uh, US Hulu um, mm-hmm. ranking for the episode. So they may not be exactly correct because like I discovered with Twilight Zone, um, things aren't always put together in the correct order on <laughs> streaming services. So if there's yeah. any complaints oh. about the order yeah. of episodes, just so you know, I'm using the Hulu US standard, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Quick warning to our viewers, um, we found, me and my partner found that out with Disney Plus as well. Um, we were re-watching the classic X-Men series. And at one point we were getting very confused because plot points seemed to be moving around a bit. So I went and looked at the official guide and the later seasons, um, four and five, Disney was starting to accidentally shuffle the episodes out of order. So. If you feel that there's something weird going on with your Disney Plus shows, that might be the reason. 
Yeah, but it happens in the Twilight Zone too. It drives me absolutely insane because <laughs> every season had a different opener. But that's that's a small digression, and we're going to talk a little bit about that because when we talk about Disney afternoon shows, I want to touch mm-hmm. on the X Men, and I want to touch on the Little Mermaid and Hercules because mm-hmm. animation quality changes for a very specific reason. Um, but getting back to Golden Girls, um, season five is the episode where Dorothy is sick and tired. But season five is also the episode where Rose goes through her AIDS test. And this was a really big episode. Mm. Um, the episode is called 72 Hours. And uh, for, for being my number four place, it's one of the least funny episodes. Um, it has what's called, so Golden Girls did this really well where they had something called the A plot, which was kind of the more dramatic, but then it had the B plot um, where it was uh, something funny happening to kind of um, temper the drama of it. So when Sick and Tired, the A-plot is Dorothy is really sick and it's been happening for a while. And there was a really great commenter to something that pointed out that back in season one, the episode about the flu, um, they actually kind of talk about it very slightly. Uh, the one where the girls all get the flu before they have to go to the banquet and Sophia gets the award kind of thing. Um, <laughs> so, so Sick and Tired did that really well because they had Blanche in the B-plot of that episode. Um, exhausted because she's trying to write the next great romance novel um, and failing at it. And they have that great scene with her looking at the egg yolks in the bag, um, talking about sunshine, it, it's great. So uh, for 72 hours, uh, the, the A plot is Rose dealing with the 72 hour waiting period for an AIDS test. Cause back then you didn't get instant results. You waited 72 hours and there was no way to really know Mm. Um, and I can't remember what the B plot is for that episode, um, but it's a really masterful episode. I wrote the words "masterful episode" in my review of it, <laughs> essentially. Um, <laughs> but it's also a great point of confrontation between Rose and Blanche, where Rose is like, "But I did everything right. I'm not like you." And Blanche does this great, uh, great rebuttal diatribe about AIDS not being you know, punishment or a person's disease. And that fits in with what Designing Women was doing at the time, um, because they had an episode in their first season about the AIDS crisis, about um, someone, some guy they knew that was super young, an interior designer who was dying of AIDS and they planned his funeral. It's not a happy episode. It's a bit of a sad episode, but um, thinking about the idea of people using sitcoms like the Golden Girls, um, specifically to learn how to interact uh, with gay people, both in their epidemic and not because um, there are there is one recurring queer character in um, the Golden Girls who is Blanche's brother Clayton, who we see twice, mm-hmm. which is really what passes for a recurring character unless you're Stan <laughs> or Miles slash Arnie. Um, and I think it's important to kind of recognize that the Golden Girls were really masterful about this because they had the episode, I don't think I can talk about this enough, the idea that the episode is drama, but then it also has a layer of comedy to it. And there's always relief from the drama slightly. The drama never goes away. The drama is never made fun of mostly, Um, but there's always just that there's levity in it. There's, it's a really fine line of writing. The episode, my seventh favorite, How Do You Solve a Problem Like Sophia in season six, where mm-hmm. Sophia's friend dies 
and she goes to live in a nunnery because she thinks she has to become a nun is both a really heavy topic about mm. how to process grief and age when all of your friends are dying off, which I've often said as someone that's lost one of their, uh, one to both of their parents, we never really learn how to process grief, grief as adults. Mm -hmm. But then you have the insanity of Sophia Petrillo, the snarky backbiting Italian immigrant, immigrant <laughs> grandmother trying to become a nun where when you think of nuns, <laughs> you don't think of Sophia as a nun. Like there's, there's a reverence and joy there, but it's again, back to that wit and optimism from mm. the show proper um, that I think is really, I think it's really important to honor that and to think about that. When we think about the Golden Girls, it wasn't just four women living in a house beating each other up verbally and then eating cheesecake at three in the morning. That did happen, but there's so much more to it than that, uh, which is why I chose for my backdrop to have the kitchen. Um, <laughs> no, you're, I think you've hit the nail on the head with one of the key uh, appeals of the show, which is the fact that the Golden Girls during its run covered a lot of heavy topics and I felt it did it in a way that was informative, yet it didn't pull its punches. And the re there's two particular episodes that are f that have always stuck with me, um, and for different reasons. One stuck with me just because the writing is so beautiful, and the other one stuck with me as perhaps my favourite episode of the show. So the one with the beautiful writing was the episode Old Friends. Now, you mentioned that what you enjoyed about that episode that you just mentioned was there was a layer of comedy running through it, but also that was juxtapositioned against the more serious topic. So in Old Friends, the main plot is Sophia um, meets a chap on the pier when she's doing her morning walk around. And they strike up a friendship and they're enjoying this lovely platonic relationship with each other. And it's really sweet to watch. But as the episode goes on, it's quite clear that unfortunately something's not quite right with the gentleman. And over time, it's shown that he has, to, he has really bad dementia to the point where unfortunately his family is going to have to make plans to send him across country to live with his son. I think it was his son. Um, have I got yeah. that right? Yeah. His daughter shows up at the end of the episode yes. mm. uh, because he doesn't come back to the bench. This is one of the few uh, episodes when I do rewatches of Golden Girls I skip because it's so hard for me to sit through it. Which yes. is really interesting for me to say because when you think about the Golden Girls, people don't think about episodes that you absolutely avoid. Um, but I mm. think what you love about it is what challenges me, which is why I don't tend to watch it. But I remember it. I remember it so oh. much that I don't need to watch it. That's how much I remember. <laughs> uh, oh, but don't you get should, me wrong. You should I, watch it. If you're listening to this and you've yeah. never seen it, you should watch it. Make yes. yourself watch all the episodes once in whatever order your streaming service has deigned to put them in. But like, watch them all. Don't don't skip it uh, until you've seen it at least once. In Indeed. I Don't get me wrong. I find it a difficult episode to watch. And the last time we watched it, I was tearing up quite a bit towards the end. I was so 
oh, I was so emo- I was a bit of an emotional wreck by the end of it. My boyfriend had to check I was all right. But it's a hard is- episode, though. I think if you're not an emotional wreck by the end of it, that like you have not been paying attention to the content of said episode. <laughs> But the the main thing is that uh, sorry, I'm trying to figure out my train where I'm, where I was. <laughs> um, it it is difficult to watch, but the Golden Girls handles that kind of plot with a lot of respect and the aforementioned dignity that we were discussing before. Um, and unfortunately, it's just it it shows that there are situations that can't be avoided but the way that they're handled um does matter and it it was just great and I'm really glad that they actually showed that Sophia had quite a sensitive sensitive side um because she's often portrayed as as tough as nails old grandma uh with wonderful one-liners I mean Sophia's humor during the show is such a great integral part of the character but showing her like this as well comes around to showing her as that brand individual and then we go to the b plot of the episode which is all about the stolen teddy bear oh yeah i think it's a uh, fernando if I remember the name of the teddy bear it's fernando who is being held so so um, fernando actually gets different. stolen twice throughout the course of the series by yeah. the way this is not the only time Fernando or a teddy bear of roses gets stolen because I think the second time it's not mentioned that's Fernando but um, her collection of teddy bears is, is a little too vast too vast for me <laughs> <laughs> uh, just to give a bit of background for anyone listening that might not be aware of this um, so Fernando the teddy bear Rose's favorite teddy um, accidentally Blanche gives away the teddy to a young girl scout um, and when it co- becomes clear, teddy bear, not not a, not a teddy, because in America a teddy is like laundry. Teddy bear, everyone. Oh, teddy okay. bear. You have to, you have to say oh. the bear part of it, or it sounds it sounds really bad. Divorce oh. context. I did not realize this. Okay, yes. the stuffed animal. <laughs> ah, that's true. <laughs> the stuffed animal is very important to Rose. Has a lot of sentimental value. So Blanche tries to get the bear back. And then the Girl Scout turns out not to be so nice and innocent um, to the point where she's pretty much blackmailing both Blanche and uh, Dorothy in the end for, I think it was, she wanted something at first and then she wanted money. And And this is is the second time that they get a blackmail too. I don't know if this, this is the episode, but Blanche and Rose get blackmailed in a different season um because of something else and they end up using like a check from their old christmas club card accounts um Mm -hmm. which is a very 80s thing these don't exist anymore but it used to be that people would save up for vacations or christmases at their bank by having a special account that they just deposited money into called christmas club or vacation club and it's not a thing anymore really uh, but it was a very like 80s thing it's a reference that as the years goes on kids are like what what does that mean um no. Yes. Mm, oh, I do apologize. So, yes, um, it was just great to see the juxtaposition between this very almost silly B plot and the dark, the more serious side of the episode. Uh, yeah. But it works. It, and that's what was great about the show when it came to individual episodes that 
it was able to interweave these separate narratives. So it didn't feel that they were strange being both included at the same time, but actually worked within the context of the show and the characters. Um, a slight correction on my side, it wasn't dementia, it was Alzheimer's. Um, and just as a small thing to mention, this episode actually won two Emmy Awards. Yeah. So one for uh, Elsa Getty, who was Sophia's actress. She got the Outstanding Supporting Actress Award. And Outstanding... Sorry, you, you have a point. No, I have, a, I have, I have more Estelle Getty points. But yeah, go ahead. And I'll let you finish it up and I'll do mine. Um. Um, and then the other enemy was Outstanding Technical Direction, Camera and Video for a series. Yeah. Um, and that's just what I had to say about that little part. Um, that's great. Yeah. My, my top Golden Girls episode also won two Emmys, one for the guest star. I don't actually know how many mm. Emmys it won, but it won at least one. It won one for the guest star specifically. Mm. My favorite Golden Girl episode is Is It, it Romantic, in which uh, Dorothy's friend Jean comes and she's a lesbian. And Blanche discovers this and first thinks she's Lebanese and then uses the word lesbian four times in maybe the most comedic use of the word lesbian ever. Um, and then she's really sad when the lesbian picks Rose over her. And it's such a great, cause they're all in the bedroom for this scene too. And it's yes. Dorothy and Sophia in bed chuckling. And then Blanche comes in in like her silk lingerie nightgown thing. And is just like sad and slightly miffed that for some reason, Jean doesn't have the hots for her. And it's so, it's such a good episode. It's easy to see why it won an Emmy, um, but mm. it also won an Emmy, you know, because of the Golden Girls. And I cannot stress this enough because remember the show, the pilot was filmed in September of 85. And in September of 85, the AIDS epidemic was really getting strong if it hadn't been strong for a while. I'm not sure what year Rock Hudson died, but at this point, the Reagan administration isn't doing anything about AIDS. People still think it's a cancer. Some people are like gleeful about it being a judgment from God, killing all the right people, which is why there's mm -hmm. a book that's titled that. Um, and when you see a Golden Girl episode with a queer character like Jean or like Clayton, this is also about how the audience is learning. And Matt Baum talks about this on his uh, review of these episodes. The audience is learning how to talk to queer people, other queer people, essentially. This is how some queer people are gauging how their families might take their coming out in a time when it was still not something that was safe to do 90% of the time. So an episode like Isn't It Romantic, in hindsight, is still a really great episode, but in context of the time in season two, in 1968, 1986, 1987, um, it's a really important way. And the right, one of the writers, one of the directors of, uh, and this is a kind of moving into my second point of how this ties in with overall TV landscape. Uh, one of the writers of the Golden Girls and probably a couple of them and a couple of the directors came from Soap. And this was a soap opera spoof uh, TV show um, that uh, Betty White actually auditioned for and didn't get a role for, but they brought her on as Rose because of it. Um, and so Soap also has the honor of being the first well-known show with a recurring queer character, Billy Crystal's Jody Dallas. 
um, who over the years has not gotten the kind of reception people have really kind of people have started to really come down on Jody. But in the 70s, when soap was made, it was really a big deal to have a queer character of any kind. And I love Jody. I think Jody as a as a queer character, not perfect, but I think is a really good representation. And so that kind of thing came into the Golden Girls. Estelle Getty, of course, had played in the Torch Song trilogy, which is Harvey Firestein's uh, trio of wonderful, hard-hitting queer drag plays. Um, mm. And so there's also, when we think about the Golden Girls in context of these social episodes, something to think about is the time period in which they were made. Um, even though they seem timeless, uh, specifically for the episodes about queer issues, uh, specifically for episodes about immigration, shout out to Mario Lopez, again, um, episodes about uh, episodes about grief, the episode about, um, okay, so I'm, I'm gonna do this. Um, so there is an episode in nearly every season where one of the Golden Girls kills someone <laughs> or has a hand in their death. Can you can you name the episodes? Uh, there are how many of them? I did I did this as a chart. There's four of them where someone in the Golden Girls care dies either by their hand or it's implied that their death is um, forthcoming. Can you name these four episodes? And it ties back into this. <laughs> I think I know which ones you're talking about. Um, let's see if you let's see if you can do it. I, I will say it's not every season, but it is there's at least one almost in every season. Oh crap. So you're challenging me, sir. I'm challenging you. Let's see if you let, let's see if you can get oh, any of them. Heavens, 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 heavens. So there is the episode where Rose has a boyfriend and has uh, proper sex again and ends up accidentally killing him due to the sex uh, well one, it's not a, due to the sex but season one in a bed of roses no he has already talked during sex accounts it was due to the sex <laughs> um that's the one where the husband is compared to the rabbit by his wife who is not surprised that, that he was having an affair <laughs> my rabbit and, used to look oh, at him in amazement so i mean that season is, one so you got one you did get one so that is an episode actually that one could talk about actually a bit more because um if you think about how the wife reacts, sort of in a very like, oh, he was doing this all the time, but then she ends up being so supportive to Rose, who's had the dignity and courage to come over and inform her of her husband's passing. And then they- fabulous house, money, and her house is fabulous, by the way. I know, I was shocked. Thought <laughs> um, I have to get some me some of that money. Um, <laughs> um, so, that, that's something we could discuss as well at some point. Um, uh, and I'm, she I'm, was I'm, played by uh, Priscilla Morrill for people right. that are fans of the Mary Tyler Moore show, uh, Mary Tyler Moore show. Um, and she was also in Mork and Mindy. Um, so fans of that particular episode, they want to see Priscilla Morrill, who plays uh, Lucille and other things. Uh, you can see her in New Hearts. Um, and in the show called Santa Barbara, and in Saint Elsewhere, which is a really great show as well. So I'm going quiet here because I'm trying to figure out what other episodes you're talking about. This is going to be bad. I know when you start giving me details, yeah. I'm going to know what okay. the hell you're going on about. So I, count, <laughs> I count the episode, the episode with the tennis courts. 
If I say an episode with the tennis court. Is that the one where Blanche accidentally kills someone because she's overworked him? No, that's that no, is not. Ah, so this okay. is um, this is the one where Dorothy's best friend from college fakes her own death before a reunion party, and she fakes her own death on the tennis court while playing tennis against Dorothy. Oh, by the way, everyone, this isn't a Spanish telenovela. By the way, it sounds oh, like that sort of plot, no, but it is great. a Spanish telenovela because <laughs> like. Because, like, because Sophia's, like, and the vultures are circling while in the stands, and she's so, like, blasé about the death of, of Dorothy's friend. No, this is a friend. This is, um, this is one of those great sorority episodes, I call it, um, where you really mm-hmm. see how they're more sisters than they are just roommates or friends. Mm-hmm. Um, this episode is called Death Do Us Till Death Do Us Folly, and it shows that Dorothy has this wonderful trickster prankster side she doesn't engage in much because she finds out that her friend's husband was in on the prank about the death. And so there's this great scene of her in bed with the husband and they catch each other. And it's just this really great, like prank on prank on prank moment, but it still feels lighthearted. It doesn't feel mm. uh, till death do us folly from season four. Right. Uh, which, which in the death is faked, but I'm still counting it as death because it's just, it's one of, uh, Pushing Up Roses does a YouTube channel where they do a lot of murder she wrote, but she also did this episode of The Golden Girls, and she claims it to be the most nuts episode of The Golden Girls, is Till Death Do Us Volley from season four. Um, you, for another one, are you counting the time they were at the murder mystery party? No, I'm not calling the, I'm not calling the case Libertine Bell because that's... Um, because you're not shocked by the murder mystery no. of it, because there's supposed to be a murder mystery. Um, that is a great episode in Blanche's like fuchsia collar thing that she's wearing. The black dress with the fuchsia collar is just great. Oh, oh I remember another one. Yes. <laughs> the the one where Rose ha- um, has a, t- a tirade at a town hall meeting against this grumpy old neighbor that lives yeah. across the street. It's a and miserable life too. So It's a Miserable Life season two is one of the few ones that Golden Girls drag crew has done as like a live play episode where they just do it beat for beat, but as drag characters dressed as the girls. Uh, It's a Miserable Life from season two also features uh, the neighbor um, whose name I'm blanking on, and I'm sure I'm going to get yelled at in the comments for this, but the woman who plays the neighbor was the witch in, uh, uh, in The Wizard of Oz. Uh, Margaret Hamilton, I think, if I remember the name correctly. I'm not, I'm not IMDBing it because IMDB is running really slow today. Um, <laughs> but so what's really fun is that uh, It's a Miserable Life is one, it's one of the most well-loved episode, but the premise of it is kind of cringy now because there's a Cosby reference in it. So like when you watch it now, you're like, oh, the things we didn't know. But Cosby was a show that came out the year after or the same year as the Golden Girls started. So people that were familiar with the Golden Girls were familiar with Cosby because that same sitcom energy happened in it. So, so you got three, so you're doing pretty well. Um, oh. There's one in season five, which is the season where almost everyone goes to the hospital at some point, except for, uh, mm. except for Blanche. I don't know if I'm gonna get this or well, Again, okay, so technically people... the person doesn't die, but this is an episode about death. 
This is the one where Sophia's oh. friend Lydia, which by the way, the way that she says her name, Lydia, that the cadence of however she talks, very creepy. Yeah. Uh, so this mm-hmm. is not another Monday where the friend is like, I want to die and I want you to help me. Um, but this one is one of the episodes that has a really great A plot, B plot, because even though the death idea is really heavy, the way mm-hmm. that Sophia approaches it, especially in the restaurant, before she knows the plan, just the gag, getting up and down on the stool, using the major D uh, to get up and down the stool is a really great, funny moment um, that, mm-hmm. you know, Estelle just kind of surrenders to. Mm. Yeah, okay, right. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so you got me there as well. Uh, I am actually proud of myself that I managed to get a couple oh, of them. Okay, so um, let's let's try this one. Let's see if you can do this. So, um, so there are episodes almost in every season where there is a rivalry over a man. An episode that does not right. test the Bechdel test in any. And these are specific. These are specific episodes. Um, so there's an episode in almost every season where this happens, and some of them are funnier than others, but they're all kind of funny. So, can you do the episodes where there's rivalry over a man? So there was the one episode where it's a famous sculptor who's trying to create a new piece of artwork. The artist season he, three. That's season three, so it's very yes. good. Yeah. He's seduced. So he ends up seducing each of the primary ladies, except for Sophia. Oh, wait, no, does he? He does I not seduce Sophia. No, so I my favorite line from that is, and if Blanche can name three other Hungarian artists of any time, I will eat that sculpture right there. <laughs> um, this is the episode where Sophia does a lot of pranks on Dorothy, and the finale prank is like smashing a fake vase in the at the art gallery where they're having the show. Mm-hmm. Um, the artist season three, Laszlo, Laszlo, who uh, came out as queer at the end of that episode because he was in uh, he was in with the uh, uh, gallery artists, um, and. And then I believe he, when the girls look shocked, I believe he lo- looks at them and says, sorry, I thought you knew. I thought you knew. Yeah, and it was then great. Thought, <laughs> yeah. It's a great uh, and, and Sophia's um, like, well, of course he is. He saw you naked for three, for three weeks. What do you think was going to happen? Which is a little bit of a bite, um, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not the worst thing I've ever heard on TV. So, Just as a quick aside, just to like clear up any minor confusion, what basically happens in the end is last creates a sculpture that includes elements from all the girls so he doesn't actually choose any of them instead he is being an artist he's being quite clinical about it and taking inspiration from all of his different subjects which is a really sweet thing if you think about Mm. it because he does kind of he does break down their personalities really well but not in a dishonoring way Mm. and i mean yes it's interesting Uh, yeah so another one that springs to mind is the actor so they're holding a play and this very it sounds like such of, a boring play too. Whoever is picking out these plays for, for this small town community theater needed to do much better than whatever this hitchhiker play was that they although, ended up picking out. The fact that they slapped Dorothy in a masculine sheriff's uniform and she carried herself quite in a very masculine way. You slept with the sheriff? Yeah, no, it's good. It was very no. It, it was a very great moment. That um, I think it would have been slightly shocking back then. If you're thinking about the time frame to see a distinguished lady 
um, dressing himself, you know, wearing what is seen as male-esque clothing. Well, what's interesting um, is B. Arthur, mm. for one, didn't want to play Maud again, which is why it took her so long to get cast, was because they were looking mm. for a B. Arthur type. But she was like, I'm not playing Maud again. People hated Maud at the end of the run, so I'm not going through that again. Um, but the other part of it is, which I find interesting because I actually like Maud, so... Um, but the other part of it was is that over the course of the seven seasons, she was always relatively upset when people made fun of Dorothy's looks. Like, mm. That was one of the reasons that um, I don't think it's ever been really stated profusely, but one of the reasons she left the show was she was by season seven, she'd kind of had her bill of making fun of Dorothy's looks. And that's part mm. of why I like the finale is because even though one of the massive incongruencies of the show happens in that last episode, um, I think it was really great to show her falling in love and getting married yes. and have someone finding her attractive. And that was one of the things that B. Arthur was always pretty upset about, I feel like. Like, that was one of her mm -hmm. major points of contention with the show was like, no, I, Dorothy is a beautiful character. And I like throughout the show mm -hmm. that when Dorothy does find someone that adores her, um, it's someone that values her not just for intellect, but also finds her physically attractive. Mm. Um, it doesn't happen near often enough, and, and much like with Rose's intellectual downturn, the uglification of Dorothy over the seven seasons is a little much for me. Um, yeah, it, it is. It is. Um, yeah, but but in the actor, it's played for laughs, and it's a very last minute thing. So it's like not a big deal because it's more of a zinger at her being tall than it is at her being masculine. So mm. I don't feel it doesn't feel the same as it feels in some of the other episodes. But mm. yeah, the actor from season two, where it's revealed that Blanche shampoos men's hair when she likes them, which is kind of a weird thing to admit to. But there you go. Yeah. So that would be the actor season two. Mm. Let me see. Mm, just having a think. Um, there, let's see. Let's see. Uh, there. What? Oh, oh. Blanche. You see, with this, um, a lot of them, I feel, can involve Blanche quite a bit because the fact is, uh, as the um, quite out there sociable member of the group, um, she's often the one to. Maybe find the men, not yeah. perhaps always date them, but she always finds them. Well, she was um, in the other two episodes quite heavily that are the other yes. two episodes where it's a rivalry over a man. Yes. So I'm not it, counting the one yeah. from season one with the doctor where the doctor tries to have an affair with Lich and she's like, no, ah. and Dorothy and Blanche have the fight. So that's not one of the episodes that I'm counting because that's not a rivalry. That's just a man being a douchebag. Is it, is one of them the episode, ooh, uh, da, 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 da. I, it's on the tip of my tongue. I can kind of remember one very distinct one um, where one of the girls asks Blanche, um, are you sure you're okay with me dating him? And Blanche has plastered that very wide smile on her face and is going, yes, yes, it's all fine. And then she stomps off and goes, that low town hussy. Start, oh, yeah. like, um, yes. I think that might be uh, oh, from season is... four, Yes, mm. We Have No Havanas where it's Blanche and Sophia versus the guy they kill because they're running him so hard he dies, but the funeral, he's been like sleeping with 30 other women. 
and it's amazing. Yes. And it's the that third one, oh. episode, and it's the third episode, and two of them, two or three of their funerals to go on location for that place that both is a funeral parlor and like a mm. wedding boutique. Because in the episode that got taken off of Hulu, that was super dumb to have it taken off. Um, it's it's turned into like a like a wedding thing, but it's the same set. But yeah, so the Fidel Santo Domingo or something. Um, yes, yes, we have no Havanas. And I really, I love both the charm of the idea of Blanche and Sophia going after the same man, but I also love that there's a portion of the audience that finds it ludicrous. So you can find whether you find it more sweet or if you find it more funny, but it's never played <laughs> for cruelty either. I mean, Blanche does call her a raisin in sneakers, but the amount of times that Sophia calls Blanche a slut, I mean, come on now. Uh, by the way, the term slut puppy, I think, only exists in Golden Girls, Canada. I've never heard anyone call anyone a slut puppy except for um, Sophia's term of endearment for Blanche. <laughs> oh, Sophia, Sophia, Sophia. She really did have a lot of great zingers at Blanche um, over the years. Uh, so, uh, something springs to mind about a secondhand mattress or something. Oh, uh, that's not a reverie episode, but that's a good one. And that's an episode about guilt because uh, because Blanche gets a really cool mattress delivered, but it's one that's way above the price range she paid for it. Um, but that's not... No, no, that, that wasn't it. Sorry. Um, she does a quip at um, her. At, she does a quip at Blanche at some point and describes her as a mattress. Oh, yes. Um, but that's I'd have to... This is me crawling at the at vague fragments of memory from watching the series at the so second. The last one when there's a rivalry over a man for me is not with a man, but the whole bar. So Journey to the Center of Attention from season seven, um, where basically Dorothy hasn't had a date in a while and Blanche drags her to the Rusty Anchor, which is the bar that we've never seen before in the series. Um, I like this episode for a couple of reasons. One is that we get to hear be Arthur Singh, which is not something that she did a lot in the series and she wanted to do more of. Um, but Journey to the Center of Attention really is a great Dorothy and Blanche moment um, where they have a really honest conversation in bathroom in an intimate space, which happens throughout the series. Um, but it's also really getting to see how B. Arthur as Dorothy attracts men to her in a way that Blanche can't. And Blanche trying to retaliate, singing a Marilyn Monroe song and failing in this really great comedic, cringy moment, getting tangled in a microphone cord. Um, I think Journey to the Center of Attention is a really great episode. It's not in my top 10, but I like to mention it because I think it's interesting. It's kind of like the episode with Barbara Thorndike, who auditioned to play Dorothy, um, going to a literary themed lunch spot where you can get things like For Whom the Stuffed Bell Peppers Toll which I don't think is a restaurant that could really exist. That sounds exhausting um, as a restaurant, but it's great. But isn't that great that you, so you've said that this isn't in my top 10, but the fact that this episode, clearly you have fondness for, it, it shows that the, this show had many, many episodes, which were great in different ways, memorable with different quotes and things. The, and it's, yeah. The, the episode where little Sven comes to visit and Rose I, gets to go get a cake. 
And it's from the erotic cake shop, but she thinks the cake is in the shape of Florida. So you never see the cake, but in your mind, you're envisioning what it looks like. It's a really great thing. It's like the Men at Blanche's boudoir calendar um, from yes. the Christmas episode where you don't know what's in it, but based upon the reaction and the words said, um, oh, it's so good. And you get uh, you get one of those samples of Dorothy's like, honest reactions because Dorothy being quite reserved sometimes yeah. uh, she'll be snarky but when she does like an emotional like reaction um, it's great to see and I believe that the, when she opened the cake that's when she went whoa and put it to one side and then if this reminds you of Charlie Milburn yeah. we can both give him a call <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Dorothy uh, in season seven, even though it's last season, she has some really great episodes too. Um, one of my favorite exchanges on TV ever is from Midwinter's Night's Dream, where she and Rose are in the kitchen. And I quote this to my friends sometimes. Mm. Um, and this is the allusion to um, Dorothy kissing Miles on the lanai, the lanai. Mm -hmm. um, but they have a conversation really coded where um, Dorothy talks about her muffins. And Rose thinks they're actually talking about muffins, but in reality, they're talking about the kiss. And um, I think the phrase, my muffins are moist and delicious, should be like on a poster somewhere in like neon print that I can just hang that, on my, in my bedroom somewhere. If you weren't telling me it was from Golden Girls, I would have automatically assumed Drag Race. <laughs> well, you know, Golden Girls, <laughs> as far as legacy, have. Uh, have inspired there they actually inspired living single uh which is where we saw queen latifah on tv for the first time mm -hmm. um but it also inspired shows like sex in the city so the idea of uh, yes. muffins or cupcakes i think it might be cupcakes actually being moist and delicious um like the sentiment is really funny but then it carries on into future shows because there's an episode about a muffin basket in sex in the city which is easily traceable back to this uh, midwinter's night dream is great and then uh the monkey show in season seven where they have the hurricane yeah yes uh um so just to quickly touch on a couple of my favorite episodes um so my the, my favorite one which i was going to um talk about um earlier on this evening um i, I mentioned about the um old friends episode as the one up with the beautiful writing my favorite episode um is brother can you spare me your jacket um, and this is another potentially hard to watch episode. this is one of the other episodes i don't ever watch i've watched it once and i was like once is enough for anyone it's really funny your favorite episodes are ones that i just don't watch anymore i just don't watch anymore but it's my favorite because the, I mean, I've got favorite episodes which deal with the comedy aspect, but perhaps the reason this is my favorite one that really made an impact on me when I saw it is the fact of how touching and um, just simply authentic it is. So to give a bit of background to those listening, um, in this episode, brother, can you spare me a jacket? Um, the girls um, get a winning lottery ticket. And 
I don't know if they ever mentioned how much money it is, but by this, it, it's by more how- than they need to fix their roof in that artist episode where they think that artist is going to die. Um, and they go to the auction to try to procure a painting without giving way that he's going to die. Um, but that, that episode is much funnier than this episode. This episode's not what I would necessarily call a funny <laughs> Golden no. Girls episode. It, it isn't. There is humor in the beginning when the girls are frantically trying to find where the jacket's gone. Um, what ends up happening is the winning lottery ticket is in a jacket, which I believe Rose gave away to charity. Um, and they end up tracing it to a homeless shelter. Um, and the girls end up having to spend the night in the homeless shelter, pretending that they're from the streets as well. Despite the fact that their clothes are, are clearly quite um, well-maintained and such, but they, they're not questioned about it. They're just allowed to stay the night. And during the night, they come to connect with residents within the shelter. And by the end of it, they just give the lottery ticket over to the pastor that's looking after the people there in the shelter so that he can um, improve the conditions and help look after all these people. Uh, It's an episode that talks a lot about what you need versus what you want. Um, And I agree, it's really difficult to watch. It can be really emotional, but it's just, Absolutely touching, and I love it to pieces. Um, and it's really important. I mean, the Golden Girls didn't shy away from the idea of um, the idea of how close they really were to poverty. Because even though they, even though Blanche owns the house and has, you know, she hasn't fully paid off the mortgage on this house. Mm. Um, you know, there there are episodes like that. There there are episodes mm. where they show Stan in Destitution, who is Dorothy's ex-husband, who um, pops in every now and then. By the way, Stan is one of the few playable characters in the Golden Girls Clue game. Stan and Miles are the two non-Golden Girl girls that you can play in the Golden Girls Clue game, um, Mm. which I find really interesting. Um, By the way, the guy that played Miles um, also played another character early on who is not Miles, um, who also dates Rose. Can you name the character? I can't name the character, but I do know who you're referring to. In a way, he was Rose's first serious boyfriend and the one that she slept with for the first time after Charlie. uh, Well, I say after Charlie. It had been, by the sounds of it, quite some time, years since he'd passed on. Yes, but Um, canonically, she hasn't slept with anyone other than than Charlie. His name is Arnie, by the way. That was it, yes. Arnie. Uh, but no, you're right. He um, was <laughs> he played that character, and then he was brought back. And when we rewatched it, I jabbed at the screen and I said to my boyfriend, "Hang on a second, doesn't that one look familiar?" <laughs> yes, that it, is it, it, it's a great thing that it's a great thing they just gloss over, unless he really is Arnie, just taken on a different name. Well, no, it's there were so. Um... So one of the interesting things that has a legacy that the Golden Girls was part of um, that other TV shows kind of took advantage of was knowing the medium. And this was the only show that did this really well because shows that followed in its footsteps and did this like uh, like Glee where they didn't pay attention to continuity at all, um, which we'll have an episode on Glee because I have a lot to say. Um, 
but so the Golden Girls had a couple of inconsistencies in it. And the inconsistency in the finale is, um, is the fact that none of Dorothy's family, none of her kids that we've seen previously in the series, come to see her get married at all. If you look out in the cast of extras in the wedding chapel in the finale, uh, Miles isn't there, even though we haven't heard about him since he went out of Widow's production, the Amish country. Um, none of her kids, none of Dorothy's kids are in the audience. None of the friends that we've seen throughout the series that they've made are in the audience. And it's just, it's one of those things where they just hired a, couple, a few extras to get it done. And it was none of the recurring cast. It, not even her sister Gloria is in the uh, is in the audience for her wedding uh, to to a Hollingsworth, nonetheless. Which is my favorite inconsistency is in Blanche's name. I don't know if you've caught this yet because I don't know if you've seen all the episodes. Um, but there's inconsistency in Blanche's name, which is her middle name. Oh, I'm I've watched every episode. Yeah of the golden girls i didn't realize that i, I yeah. do apologize i overlooked that so in the episode where blanche's mammy reaches out um which is a little weird to say but in the episode where blanche's former nurse nanny who had been having an affair with big daddy who's a very interesting named character um comes in and calls her full name blanche marie hollingsworth and that's in episode two uh, season two or three and then in season seven, during the mix-up with Charlie's photographs that we talked about earlier, um, she brings out her diary for Blanche Elizabeth Devereaux so they can make the thing that her name spells the word bed. But her mammy has already given her the middle name of Marie. And though your, name, your last name changes when you get married in that universe, your middle name shouldn't change. So in order to do the joke, they have to essentially recall Blanche's middle name, um, which I always chuckle about. Wow. I've learned something new today. <laughs> there's also a website uh, that did this, and it always gives me a giggle. If you look at the female characters that come to visit, um, occasionally the same set of kind of turquoise hoop earrings will pop up. Um, and yeah. these characters will be wearing the same set of earrings um, from from the from the wardrobe department, which is kind of funny to say. Um, yeah. Wow, that's great. You see, this is the sort of stuff that I love to hear about, like the little um, accidental um, narrative errors, shall we yeah. say, that doesn't quite make sense, like the whole like the obvious one of recasting an actor into different roles. But um, as you said, oh, and also the fact that their children's actors changed over time, I'm pretty sure. Well, Big Daddy um, was played by two different people too. So <gasps> the two episodes of Big Daddy have completely yes. different actors. Although Big Daddy's funeral scene after he dies and we get that great moment with Blanche at hmm. the gravesite, talking with Dorothy about how she's not um anyone's little girl anymore really resonated with me in the way that her speech from end of the curse when she finds out she's menopausal and she thinks her life is over resonated with me um because mm -hmm. the idea of your life changing in a way it's out of your control and seeing mm -hmm. kind of yourself moving in family patterns was really something that i'm hyper aware of for myself 
But then because my father had passed away and I found that I wasn't anyone's child anymore. Like that is, that is a big moment in a person's life. And you don't really think about yes. that. You don't really see that on TV because no character since has ever really said that. No. Without such poignancy, but it's a really amazing episode. And the B plot of the episode is not as good. It's the one about um, um, Rose and Sophia trying to make money to put together Blanche's plate from the Citrus Festival, which we never hear about again. Um, but the A plot of that is so strong in how Blanche processes that grief and the fight that she has with Charmaine um, is really, mm-hmm. it's, it's a really good and important episode. Um, it's not as funny as Sisters and Other Strangers where Blanche's sister writes a book that may be about her life, it may be about Blanche's life, The Vixen's Story of a Woman, um, <laughs> which is one of my favorite. Magda is my favorite side character. Magda, who loves Slurpees because they're so fruit-like and natural. Um, I love me the I love me the Magda episode, um, and not just for not just for Dorothy's correct recommendation. Vanna White's autobiography is a great book. I don't know if anyone's read it, but there's a, a, a half a chapter dedicated to Vanna White smoking pot and eating the world's best meatloaf. If you've never read Vanna White's autobiography, it's it's a gem, and I can totally see why Dorothy. Um, why Dorothy recommends it along with Sense and Sensibility, I think, by uh, by Thomas Paine. You see, I wonder whether this is why, this is partially the reason why the Golden Girls appeals to the LGBT community quite a bit, because of the fact that the girls are, the, the girls discuss all the sorts of stages of their lives they've had. Um, it looks at the whole gammon of relationships because in the show you see a lot of relationships start a lot of relationships in progress they talk about relationships they've had and also shows the natural ending of relationships as well um and it all it it touches on not just personal relationships between like you know two people being together but also friendship as well and how people can in, how people change in their relationships with each other over time um, we've talked before about the girls undergoing personal growth and their relationships with each other changing and i think it could be quite instructive in a way um, well, and this is a really great there's a really great episode that denotes that point um, which was a backdoor pilot for a series that never got made, but then came back. So the episode at the end of season three, I think it is, Empty Nest, about Sophia Loren and her husband. It would later on become Empty Nest with Richard Richard Mulligan, who played on Soap as Dr. Harry Weston coming back. But originally Empty Nest, that pilot was supposed to be about that couple in the next phase of their lives. Mm. Um, The idea of empty nesters the idea of people having um people not having their kids around so how do they structure their life i always think about sophia doing this throughout the course of the show having a second childhood almost um and i think that's a really interesting thing to think about is how this is a moment in these women's lives but they're not uninformed by the moments that come before 
and they can't predict the future, but they can predict their responses based upon how they've responded in the past and getting wisdom from each other just through hearing mm. the stories about their lives. And that, and that's why the um, late night cheesecake um, moments were so important, integral to the show. Um, friends, I have to say, you know, I have never or... seen chocolate macadamia nut cheesecake in real life. But if I ever see chocolate <laughs> macadamia nut cheesecake anywhere, I'm a uh, fun fact too. B. Arthur hated cheesecake. That was her least Indeed. favorite part of the series. Everyone else loves it, but B. Arthur was like, "No, I hated cheesecake." Whenever when anybody would ask her about it, she was like, "No, I didn't." She always thought that was the worst part of the episodes where the cheesecake talks is what she says in uh, in the book I've got here, The Golden Girls Forever. Mm. It was apparently um, in her autobiography or somewhere like that, she talked about, didn't, didn't care for the cheesecakes, not so much. What an actor then that she could portray. Having cheesecake was such a relish. Did we ever actually see her eating the cheesecake though? Because we see them like, moving plates and bowls around and there's the one really great inconsistency where they gave them actual ice cream in an episode instead of mashed potatoes so it melts like almost immediately because mm. of the heat of the studio lights um <laughs> but that's yeah. that's that's something that we could talk about um we're a little over an hour now so i want to be present mm. of your time um and my time but like we could talk a little bit about about kind of, I think one of the things that queer people are often drawn to uh, that we don't talk about as much. And when we talk about Batman, I'm gonna talk about this more, but the idea of the aesthetic, um, mm. the aesthetic of the home, the set design um, from the cast, uh, from the copper from the copper pans on the wall um, mm. to the uh, wicker furniture everywhere to the fact that um, the lanai is a thing, which I've never heard anyone call it, call it their back porch lanai by the way like that's not a thing other people have ever said i didn't even know what that was like for the longest time i i just i don't know where the word comes from but like if you look at just looking at set design i think sometimes what gay people are drawn to after the wit is the aesthetic of it and there's really great mm -hmm. aesthetic with clothes um rue mcclanahan was a big clothes version so i think rue probably had some influence on making sure the girls were stylish Oh, and such memorable looks and everything. Uh, uh, Dorothy's shoulder pads, like oh, those were those were those were uh, those were her shoulders. Those were Arthur's shoulders. Those were not no. Those were her shoulders. Are you serious? I'm 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 pretty sure they. Were could... Wow, I honestly thought that she was wearing shoulder pads. Sometimes you were saying I mean, that it was the 80s early 90s and people were wearing shoulder pads long after they should have stopped so it's very possible <laughs> but i don't think i i think it may have just accentuated what she naturally had because if you watch her and mod her body shape mm. does not change that much and they were not really doing shoulder pads when she was filming um so mod was a spinoff of all in the family in which she had like one gift shot and then they gave her her own show because they liked her so much um, and so in the same way that Empty Nest is a spinoff of the Golden Girls, and then there was a spinoff of Empty Nest called Nurses. So the Golden Girls legacy runs far beyond the show itself, because the show ended in, um, I think the show ended in 92, and Empty Nest didn't end until 95, the almost, I think it may have been the year after Golden Palace ended, which wasn't as good as Golden mm -hmm. Girls. Um, 
that on that leading on that point actually yes um we had a number of spin-offs from that to the point actually you mentioned about the hurricane episode earlier um they did a special on the channel where they did an episode i believe it was an episode of empty nest an episode of nurses was it i think nurses it, it, was the spin-off yeah. to yeah. empty nest and and then you have the golden girls as well i believe they actually did a special where all three uh, shows did an episode which tied the hurricane in and then you had people from each um of the shows like one character at least guest starring in a segment so yeah. it narratively connected them all together yeah. so I, i've um, never seen i've never seen the other two parts of the hurricane episode but i would really enjoy seeing that at some point just to see what it's like well, Nurses uh, was never, I don't think Nurses was well received. I think it just got two seasons. So I don't know that anyone has seen all of Nurses. Um, but I know that in the Hurricane episode, because it's a two-parter, yeah. um, Dorothy and Stan's therapist is dating Her one of Harry Weston's daughters, the, the redhead, the neurotic one. And so mm -hmm. that's the cameo from there. But the Golden Girls one was so big which is understandable it, um, it was pretty much the flagship show at the time for the channel so no wonder they made it that big um speaking of um the girl well, you speaking have to about think the, too, uh, the golden girls is um the golden girls was a flagship show for yeah. um because it was one of the few shows that ran on saturday night um they talk about it in the book that it had at least 30% share, which is more than most shows dream of now. Uh, but it was the only show that ran on Saturday night for a long time. It had, there was nothing else. It was that. And then apparently the executives at NBC were hoping enough people would stay tuned that they would go all the way up until the end of Saturday Night Live, um, which is a weird thing because I don't think at that point there was a lot of crossover between the Golden Girls fan base and the Saturday Night Live fan base. Because in the 80s, Saturday Night Live was doing a lot of um, really charged, almost taboo stuff. And that was mid-80s. I don't know if that was still Phil Hartman era or not, but that was that was way more caustic and less yeah. sitcom-y than the Golden Girls, that's for sure. Hmm. I have a couple of points um, before we wrap up for today. Um, one, I'm gonna because... have a question. For, I'm gonna have a question for you after our wrap-up question for you. So, ooh, excellent. All right, I'll try and keep it concise then. <laughs> so, one fact that some of our listeners might not be aware of is Elsa Getty, after uh, who plays Sophia, um, after the Golden Palace finished, she kept playing the character, and from what I understand, she became a series regular on Empty Nest in like, I believe it was the last two seasons. Um, and then I believe that she had a guest spot. It would, I think it was on Doctors as well, but she had a recurring thing for it. I would need to double check, but she continued playing the character a lot longer than the rest of the um, char other characters kept on. Well, and she was, one of the most popular characters. She was very much like mm -hmm. the baby dinosaur from the Dinosaurs TV show where they're all good, ah. but one of them kind of sticks out. Um, mm. One of the things about Estelle Getty is that, you know, this was kind of her big break. Um, yes. And this was uh, much like Naya Rivera from Glee, 
um, if she hadn't gotten this role, she probably wouldn't have stayed in Hollywood because Estelle was like, you know, she had just done Torch Song Trilogy, the uh, West Coast um, shows of it had just kind of ended. And she was pretty much done with Hollywood. She didn't think she was going to get a break. And she was the youngest of the Golden Girls too. Mm. Um, they, they made her up to, to look like the oldest, but she was the youngest of the, of the four. Which, which a lot of people don't realize. Um, Betty White was actually the oldest member of the cast, I believe. Yeah, but she was always youthful, even when she was playing Sue Ann Nevins. Mm. Which, if you've never seen Sue Ann on Mary Tyler Moore, there's a great sequence where you can see her comedic timing as Sue Ann, where her and Phyllis are on the kitchen TV set in Mary Tyler Moore, <laughs> and they're fighting over a man, and Sue Evans has this chocolate souffle in. And Phyllis ruins the souffle, and then like one of them throws chocolate souff- deflated chocolate souffle at each other. It's a really great scene. It's as good as the vocal cadence of the um, "My muffins are moist and delicious" scene from Midnight Winners. My last point um, is a tribute, actually, to Betty. My one of my favorite episodes of her. And which goes also back to what you were speaking before about how um, Rose was often um, portrayed not as foolish in the earlier seasons, but rather just very sweet and more innocent of the world compared to the other girls. Letters for Gorbachev, when she writes a letter for the Russian Russian president to beg him to stop nuclear disarmament. Now, I know that how she's how she is in that in that episode um, is slightly controversial. I think some people don't like seeing her almost yeah. being made fun of. That episode, um, people are really critical of it as she's too childlike. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. But I actually, I think I view it as more sweet on her character because of the sincerity I feel from her. Um, you know, she, so in the episode, for anyone listening, she writes a letter to the Russian Prime Minister um, Gorbachev, I hope I got his name right, Gorbachev there, and she's asking him on behalf of her Girl Scout troop. No, no, Sunshine Scouts, they weren't Girl Scouts, because that was like, they were the Sunshine Scouts. My apologies. Something like that. They were not the girls. They were they were not the organization that has like I think they have a corporate trademark on. They were they were the Girl Scout like troop. <laughs> on behalf of the girl 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 Scout like troop that she was looking after, she sent this letter, and the Russian ambassador um, accidentally thinks it's from a child because of how like straightforward and simplistic Rose's writing is. Um, And then Rose goes through this whole thing of like the press conference where she has the courage to stand up and say it's from herself and that she wrote the letter and such. And I I, I could see why it can be a slightly difficult episode to watch. I think I am touched by sincerity of what it shows that Rose is a very... um, authentic person and she's very caring and I think that's what comes across to me 
from that. Well, and I think it's a really episode, a really important episode in context too. I, I think the longer we get away from it, we're more divorced from it. But the mm-hmm. issue of the Cold War, that silent Cold War, is something that had been hanging over Americans' heads since you know, the Bay of Pigs in the 60s, and it had cooled off a little bit. But at this point, like, nuclear winter was something of almost an inevitable feeling. Um, and I think Rose was feeling, I think there's a way they could have done the episode where it didn't feel like she was so childlike. I think part of it was not the letter writing itself, but there's a resonation of, she doesn't ever really take an adult viewpoint of it. Like she defends mm-hmm. it in a way where there's absolutely no pragmatism to it. Um, and it does seem almost infantilizing. It comes very close to that line where mm-hmm. it's like, uncomfortably naive like beyond where a human character even someone naive would um, Mm. would go um but i think it's it's not a bad episode it's not an episode that i have to turn off because like i can't watch it um but it's definitely not one of my favorites i think i think it's an important episode in how we struggle with the idea of archetypes and we'll talk about archetypes a lot on this on this podcast, which is you know the idea of an archetype is how you fit a character into a box. So when we talk mm-hmm. about Buffy, we can talk about the archetype of the chosen one or the vampire, because uh, I am going to want to talk about Buffy at some point. Um, divorced of Joss Whedon, if at all possible. Uh, but so the Golden Girls is great because it's a classic sitcom. It's a really old school style sitcom you don't see much anymore, but it was still really on the cutting edge of the mm-hmm. time with its content and how it viewed its female characters that were older. Cause shows like that didn't exist there. It just mm-hmm. simply was not a thing that existed before the golden girls. Um, and I think that when we think about things like this we can't take for granted that even when it was silly even when they have an episode of clip shows where they end up going to jazzercise and get perms that was something <laughs> that still didn't really exist before that point. Because really the only female characters that you had up to that point that were older um, were nosy next door neighbors uh, like um, Gladys from Bewitched or Aunt B, who was not a sexual character at all. Like if anything, she only existed like on screen when Opie and Andy needed her to be there. Like, so I think it's one of those things where when we think about a sitcom, especially as it grows and ages, um, it's not even about longevity, it's about remembering that it comes also from a moment in time where issues are different. So like the episode where the, where the guy running for mayor is found out to be a drag queen and how that's handled in future years, that may not be as well loved, but yes. it is something that at that time, that was really what they mm-hmm. could do. That was the best they could do. And it doesn't feel mean spirited. Like, no one's angry at him for dressing as a woman. They're angry at, Blanche is angry at him for pinning an affair on her um, yes. and, and taking away her autonomy. And mm-hmm. like, that is more the crux of the episode than the, than the, mm-hmm. um, than the drag queen, drag queen or cross-dressing or however they actually put it is. And so like, mm-hmm. there may be miles away and there may be critiques down the road, but then you'll always kind of come back 
So there's more quality in the show than there are moments that won't age as well, even if the references don't always last. Because um, yes. there are some references now where even I can't remember what they were referencing <laughs> and I have to look it up. Um, yeah. Indeed. Um, so you said you had a last, que a last okay. question. I do have a last question and then I'm going, we're going to do this and then we're going to sign off. And if you don't know the answer, I'll tell you after we're signed off and then the audience mm. can, can kind of uh, guess in the comments um, if they don't know. Uh, actually, this is a two-parter. I'll do, I'll do the two parts. So the two parts are, um, this is both related to before the show's conception, the pitching of the show was given to two female actresses uh, that were older. And so these two female actresses were pretty well known at the time in the early 80s uh, for their work in comedy. So the first part of the question is who were the two actresses? And the second part of the question is what was the name of the Golden Girls before it was the Golden Girls? What was the name of the show before, um, before it was the Golden Girls pilot, essentially? Right. Um, I, my head is honestly a blank at the second um, to both questions. Um, I jokingly thought, as soon as you said, what was the old, what was the original name? The, the idea of old dames came to mind, but I think that-, that Oh, Patricia Relage in the Golden Girls, what a missed opportunity, or Molly Sugden. <laughs> Molly Sugden is a Golden Girl, what a missed opportunity. Um, but no, it's not um, that. It's not, no, it's not that. I think our audience might have better luck then with yeah. that, because my brain is currently a blank. Yeah, feel free, feel free to leave uh, comments, but um, yeah, yes. so that's what we're going to leave you with. Uh, if you have more you want to say about the Golden Girls, because there's always so much more to say, uh, feel free to leave comments. Oh, yes. We've um, very much yeah. only scratched the surface today in this conversation. I think we there's... Talk about my, we didn't even talk about Clayton, one of my first Hollywood crushes. Um, we didn't. Uh, we, could have, we could talk in the future about Jean and how she... Yeah. I mean, she was... Um, bought out in an episode that's really close to the beginning of the Golden Girls popularity if you think about it because it was near the beginning of season two yeah. um we could talk about yeah we could talk about all sorts of little bits and pieces so and 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 we will but uh we're already running close to an hour and a half so it's one of yes. those things where it's like um how long can a podcast go but it's a uh, it was wonderful to talk to you uh, mm. And we'll have more of these. What will happen is, is that a couple of podcasts will go up in podcasts and then it will get archived um, to our upcoming YouTube channel for Everything is Gay, Even the Straight Stuff, which is the name of this podcast. Um, thank you everyone for tuning in. I'm John McDonald. You can find me on Instagram and on Twitter um, under the name Stardew Farmer. And my lovely co-host, you'd like to say good evening. Good evening. <laughs> <laughs> I think you mean more fair thee well. Uh, fair thee well. For, where, for, where, where can people find you, Magnus, if they want to, if they want to flame you for your selection of Golden Girls episodes? Just, just go and look for Magnus L. Alexander on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. They just whack my name in a Google search engine and you should be able to find somewhere. <laughs> oh. Okay, well, thank you everyone. And we hope that you have a really great day. And I wanna to say to all of you out there, thank you for being a friend.